Lord, we know that we cannot simply read words and expect to gain understanding, but that we must have your Holy Spirit who uh, interprets this scripture for us. Uh, the author of this scripture uh, must be present uh, for us to understand. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to be the one that reveals to us, as you said you would, all truth. Um, and we just ask that you would, again, as you said you would, remind us um, and teach us about uh, the one you serve, Jesus, and uh, that we would see your truth present here in Scripture, but not just that, Lord. We just ask that um, that you would uh, move us from where we are to where you would desire for us to be, that we would not casually just observe uh, words on a page, but that these uh, words would be, as we're going to talk about, would be the gospel truth, and that truth, that good news would set us free and, and get us moving um, into the life that you have for us to live. So I, I just pray against any, any casual approach here, but that we would seriously look at what you have to say in the scriptures today. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you, do you understand that? I mean, the reality is that uh, we could open up this word and we could read it and we could... We could study and, and probably learn a tremendous amount, um, but understand this, that absent the Holy Spirit, we will not grow in the truth of God from this book. Do you, you understand that? So, so if you casually open this up and go, okay, I'm just going to learn a, a, a little bit, then it will be, it will be dead and, uh, and lifeless to you. Um, but if we, if we open this word and we go, okay, the Lord himself wrote this book, through the Holy Spirit, and He has given us that Holy Spirit that we might understand what He has written, uh, then it becomes life. Then it, then it, it uh, does what we're going to talk about. Then it begins to bear fruit. Uh, and so, but, but understand this, that there's always, there's always uh, an option, no matter what environment you're in, whether it be church or even, even in your own prayer closet, there is always an option to be casual about your approach to the Lord. There's always an option to read Scripture or to uh, come into a place with Him in your flesh and, and receive nothing. That's always a possibility. Uh, we have to be focused. We have to approach this with a seriousness that says, Lord, I cannot understand or grow if you don't interpret and speak to me. Does that make sense? So, I mean, this is, this is our option today. We can be casual or we can uh, explore what the Holy Spirit would have for us to for us to see. Does that make sense? But here's the, I cannot do that for you. You have to do that for yourself. Um, so, so my prayer over you is that you would uh, engage this word going, Holy Spirit, teach me. Because uh, that's the only way that something's going to shift in you. Something's going to move. Does that, make, does that make sense? Okay, cool. So Colossians 1. Last week we stopped at verse 1. Again, that's why I'm saying <laughs> it could take us a while because I, I got to verse 1 and we spent the entire hour on verse 1. Um, but we're going to go past that. We're actually going to get all the way down to six, I hope. Um, but then most likely we'll stop there. So uh, here we go. Verse 1, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he's about to unpack the, the process which has happened in these, in these people. He says, we're praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you uh, heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Um, and I'll actually read on here just a little bit. Just as you learned it from Ephraim, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And we're going to look at some of that probably next week. But uh, just, a, just a refresher. Remember, Paul has never visited Colossae, okay? He wrote this from prison in Rome. He had never been there before, which we talked about, which is kind of a strange dynamic because if you are in prison in Rome, knowing the Roman system, there's, there's a high likelihood that your death is imminent. And uh, when, when you're about to die, who are you going to be thinking of uh, first? The people closest to you. But the reality is Paul had never been here before, has absolutely no relationship, abs- absent his connection with these people in the spirit, has no relationship with them whatsoever. Uh, they were evangelized by this guy named Ephraim, who most likely heard Paul teaching in Asia. Um, and he evangelized this city and then two others that were, that were close, uh, close to it. But, here, but here's what, to me, is just so brilliant about this, is that Paul does not... Um, uh, will you open the door, the back door, Kenzie? Hold on, hold on, somebody... Come in here. Sorry, we locked up shop. Um, so he doesn't. Uh, I mean, think about think about this in this moment. Who is he listening to? How does he know where to write? I mean, his flesh has got to be wanting to write the people closest to him. And we already know his relationship he has with with Timothy. We already we've we've seen the places that he's been before. He's in Rome where he's had a ministry. Why is he not penning a letter to somebody? Uh, closer to him, but we know that Paul is so pressed into the Lord, is absolutely being obedient to that which the Lord puts on his heart, and he writes to people whom he's never, ever seen before. Uh, I, I think that that carries magnitude and weight throughout this whole, uh, throughout this whole letter, knowing that he writes this uh, on, essentially on the verge of, of death to people he's never, uh, he's never met. Um, anyway, so that's kind of a, just a little, little bit of the, of the history there, but uh, we talked about that last week, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into it. Uh, and then and then verse one, we talked about uh, Paul's confidence in who he is as an apostle, um, both uh, by you know apostle designating meaning one of the twelve, and and also um, apostle as in with with an office within the church. Um, it, it, this word means both things, but uh, but Paul specifically is commenting here on his uh, qualification as one of the twelve, and we looked at how the uh, they, they drew lots for Matthias. It's a very interesting story in Acts, uh, how they filled Judas's spot. Anyway, this is a, that's the ketchup. That's what we talked about. Uh, not ketchup as in ketchup and mustard, but you're now caught up. Um, that's the ketchup. That would be a good phrase. No? Okay. Uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, we're going to be in, uh, in, starting in verse 4, and it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So what, what are we focused on here? What, what's kind of our, our, main, uh, our main topic? Uh, what has caused uh, the, this, this faith, this outpouring of the Lord in Colossae? What has happened? What do you see here? What's the catalyst to all of it? 
Yeah, yeah. At the very end of verse, uh, verse 5, he says, which you heard in the word of what? The word of truth, comma, Okay, so he's defining what the gospel is by saying, you heard this in the word of truth, so, and this is the gospel. So what we're, about to, what we're about to unpack and what Paul is seeing from the people at Colossae, and not necessarily seeing because he hasn't been there before, but hearing uh, and, and writing to them, all of it stems from their hearing the word of truth in the gospel. Okay, so what I want to do is... Uh, Have you ever heard that word before? Like a ton of times. A ridiculous amount. To the point that its definition, though it's probably one of the more common words in church, I don't know that we could define it with unity or with accuracy. We have, we have designated so many things to the gospel that I don't even know if we can see straight anymore, right? But let's bring this back to real simplicity and look at it uh, within this definition and then what the Greek of it uh, actually means, which is what? It's very simple. What does it mean? That's it. That's not an R. I'm just a lefty. Be patient with my leftiness. That's all it is. That's what that word means. Okay, Paul defines it further here, and I, and I don't really want to, because it's so, I feel like so, not overused, but so heavily used, I don't want to uh, overstimulate this word, but let's just look at it in terms of what it is and then what Paul says that it does. What does he say right before he says the gospel? He says, you heard in the word of truth. So all I'm going to do just for the next few minutes is unpack what the gospel is and what it does here, because if the gospel is the catalyst, we have to see here that the gospel is active, okay? Is this, does this make sense? If, the, if what, is, what is being observed in these people is because of the gospel, and Paul's going to elaborate a little bit on that, we've got to understand that the gospel is not this stagnant thing. The gospel is not this, uh, this good news that is heard uh, one time and then becomes, uh, like I said, stagnant. The gospel is an active process, right? Right? If, if the gospel is the catalyst, then the gospel has to be this ever-producing thing that continues uh, growth in these people. And we've got to see that, okay? Because what he's going to list here in just a second, we're going to have to be able to look at us and have a, really an accountability moment of, is the gospel also active? If it's active here, is it also active in us? Is it also active in what we do? Is the good news this growing process? Not just a, not just a punchline, but this, this process. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay. So he says, uh, and I just, want you to, I just want you to list some things, okay? I want you to, whatever you see here, let's, let's look at. He says, the gospel, which we already said is, is truth, it has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So what, what is the gospel doing in that phrase? What do you see? Okay, be specific. Say, he said, okay, okay. Uh, Lauren, you said transforming is in bearish fruit. Yeah. 
And what would you say? Multiplying. What, what's the evidence for multiplication? Okay, and then and what else does it say? Yeah, it's, it's continuing. So it's, it's come to you, and it, as in all the world, and is constantly increasing. So, so um, <laughs> there we go. But specifically, uh, okay, it says it's doing, it says really here it's doing two things. I think we listed them and, and unpacked that a little bit. It says it's bearing fruit and increasing. Uh, where? Okay, we hadn't read far enough to see the second part. Uh, but but here, here's the two things that, uh, and these are kind of the same. This is happening two different places. You see that? So he says it's, it's, uh, it's growing. Uh, he doesn't say growing, but he says it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing. So, has it, has it happened before? The, the gospel doesn't originate here in, in Colossae, but it has been, they are, if you imagine, like, you ever see, you ever line dominoes up and tipped them over? Right? If you'll imagine, Colossae is one of these uh, dominoes down the line. The gospel, ever since its uh, origin in Christ, has been increasing Right, regardless of what perception may be, the gospel has been increasing, and they are a domino that falls within that ever increasing gospel. Do you see this? They're just they're just uh, partakers in what has already begun and is going to continue beyond them. Right. So he says uh, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has it has been doing in you also. Since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of truth. So what, what is the other piece? I think this is really interesting. Yeah. Have you ever considered this? When we hear the gospel, we hear uh, the, the evangelistic piece of the gospel which says we, we take jesus's words and we say and he says uh preach the gospel to all the nations right and we we hone in on this gospel and make it just evangelism but what paul says is he says it's it's two different things he says it's constantly increasing and bearing fruit and it's doing so in the world in an evangelistic sense but it's also there's something that's happening in you there's also something very personal going on within this gospel. This good news, this word of truth, has also done something in you that should be continually increasing, growing, and bearing fruit. So the gospel is not just an active process that takes place throughout the nations, but the gospel is an active process that is taking uh, place within me and you. And it happens in growth and in what? Bearing fruit. And we've looked at this before. I, I've, I've shared with you before. If we were to draw a line, uh, and I'm not insinuating that God has an origin like a start point. He is before and after. He is outside of time. But if we were to draw a graph that, uh, that denotes his nature, okay, that denotes the way in which he works, the way, way in which he takes things, what would it be? Would it be this, this, or this? Just think about you personally. 
since you have heard the gospel and have met Christ, what has been his process in you? To keep you the same? To bring you on a path of reduction? Or this? This right here, right? This is his nature. God doesn't digress. He doesn't bring things uh, backwards. He always is bringing things forward, whether it be creation, uh, well, which is all uh, things, but you know what I mean, whether it be uh, the, the created world or his creation in terms of you and me, all is being redeemed and made uh, to be on an increase. Does this make sense? All things moving back to himself, being redeemed back into his dominion and rule and perfect reign. Does this make sense? So that anything, anything that is in him automatically has to take on this nature. Does this make sense? So when Paul says that it's constantly uh, growing and transforming and multiplying, we see here that this is exactly what he's talking about. Why is it? Because the gospel, the good news, is the word of truth. And the only truth is who? What does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we understand that this gospel is held, this good news. The only good news is Christ Jesus and Christ crucified, right? And so this truth, this Christ Jesus, when we, when we are in him, whatever is in him, is going to be constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Do you see this? So I feel like here, you, you probably have a pretty good uh, understanding of this because I think we preach this from the rooftops pretty well. It's all about, you got to preach this gospel message. You better go get some people saved. But here's the deal. I think that we need to look first here because you cannot preach that which does not exist in you. You cannot effect, effectually prescribe over somebody else something that you do not know. Does this make sense? How many of you have had the gospel preached to you by somebody within the gospel or with some, by somebody where the gospel is not actively uh, producing this? It's foolishness. But for, for the most part, what we have done is we have made uh, our Christianity about what we can tell other people and a lot less about our transformation. And I want to tell you that this is out of order and it cannot happen this way. That's why the, the gospel got to you and me because Jesus, uh, look at this, Jesus invested in 12 men, invested in the transformation of 12 men. He called them out. He said, look, if you want to be with me, you got to follow me. you got to drop your nets. You have got to leave and execute your old life and walk in relationship with me. And that is how the gospel began. Jesus didn't start by telling them, look, I'm the guy. You need to tell people about it. He started by transforming 12 men. We have left that process. If transformation is not occurring in you and me, then the gospel will not go forth in its full weight from our mouths. Because that's all it'll be, is from our mouths. It will not be from our lives. And so that's what I want to talk about today, because Jesus is very, very, very specific about this word, fruit. He says it should always be increasing, right? But it, but it also, the increase is known by this bearing fruit. And I want to look at that. In the rest of our in the rest of our time, because man, I'm telling you, this is like this is heavy accountability. I want to say it's accountability for me, uh, big time. This forces us to reconcile transformation in our own lives. Like it has to happen. We cannot be evangelists absent transformation. Does that make sense? So go to John 15. And we're gonna probably this is why we can't ever get past like verses because you see this though. There's so much to unpack here. Right? <laughs> 
Okay. I think this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture, but I really think it's one of the hardest. Okay, John 15. Not hardest to understand, but sometimes the simplest truth is the hardest to reconcile. Does that make sense? And I think this is really, 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 really simple, but it's really hard. Um, okay, 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. We're going to be talking about fruit, so I want, you to, I want you to really lock in on that. He says, I am the true vine, and these words are in red. Who's talking? Jesus. We know this is Jesus Christ, Son of God, speaking here. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father uh, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you, cannot, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. This is crazy. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus outlines. Are you good here? Can I raise this? You know what? I don't have to. Bam! Clean slate. <laughs> Jesus outlines here uh, bearing fruit. And I just want us to look at the process. What, what is the process of, of bearing fruit? What, what, are, some, what are some important pieces here okay that's a big one i don't know if i want to do that yet no not abide i just numbers (laughs) what else is there anything else prescribed here to bear fruit Okay. Yeah. It says he prunes or purges. That's not us, so we need to know that that's, that's the Father who does it. Uh, but what this is only applicable in what case? Say it louder. I think. Yeah. In a fruit bearing situation. Right? There's no, there's no pruning. I don't go out and prune a dead rose bush. You understand? Well, that's stupid. That's why he laughed. That doesn't make any sense. Right? Why? Because, because you prune for more life. You prune for more fruit. You prune something that is growing and increasing, not something that is dead. This makes sense. What else do you see there? What's the 
What's the en- what's the really the end of this? What is the sum of us bearing fruit? What what happens? Who is who is pleased? Dude, do you see that? Need there be any other reward? Is is there any greater thing than him being pleased? Man. You know what what I'm saying? There's this moment where where he says, uh, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We we read that as such such an incredible, sweet uh, moment of a father looking upon a son and being pleased. And he says, "This this is how you please me. This is how you glorify me by bearing fruit. And here's what's brilliant about that. Look at, look at all that it takes to do it. Pleasing the Father, glorifying the Father is not a complicated process. This is not a hard, hard, hard thing. Why is this a hard thing? Because we are wrestling with our flesh to do it. But the, but the reality is, it's simple. Jesus says, to bear fruit, abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, one, they'll know that you're my disciples, and two, the Father will be glorified. This is simple. This is hard. But this is so, so, so simple. So what, what should it look like then in our lives? What is, what's Paul, you know, Paul describes in Colossians, he says it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. This is the word of the testimony that he has heard uh, about these people, which means uh, that the Spirit of God is definitely active in them because what he's describing in them is this. So here, here's, we, need to, we need to kind of reconcile this back to us and go, okay, if this is true, then what does this process look like? Okay, because I want this. I want this. So what does it look like? Now we can do an order. What does that mean? Don't, we cannot just brush past this, say it, and like wave to it. You know what I mean? We, this, in this word, abide, is, is all that is required of us to bear fruit. So what does it mean? How do you do it? Thoughts? I mean, like, yeah, that's good. Now I have to erase. How do you do it? She said it has a good word, die to self. What does that look like? In a Christian, we have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. These two right here, what scripture refers to as our flesh, this is where we have relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is the abiding Holy Spirit. So what is self then in this definition? So, in, in what you said, which is very, very accurate, 
It says, die to self in order to abide. And, but but I, you understand this. There's, two, there's another part here. So very first, what, what is it? How do you die to yourself? You choose. And why do you choose? Why is this one so hard? It's a choice, number one. That's, that's why it's hard. But why is it so hard for us to rip our fingers from our flesh? Okay, you, certainly you, you, were, you were born with this absolutely 100% control. I've told you about my son. He, he in no way learned from me to fall on the floor and scream and throw things. You know who taught him that? His sin nature, his flesh. Because that's, that's all he knows. That's all he has is this nasty thing. Right? He didn't, he didn't learn that from... Well, he may have learned it from Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay has a habit of just throwing fits. <laughs> you see that? It's because this, from our birth, it's from, this has been in control, in the, the lead of our lives. That's why, number one, that's why it's so difficult. Because our flesh is so used to ruling and reigning in our lives. And we can define this further. So uh, this is our mind, our will. And our emotions comes a little clearer when you. This is the physical. You see that. This is like the deep inner man that was dead until Christ breathed life into it. Remember, it says uh, when when Adam got life, what, what happened? When real life, it says that God blew breath. This word breath is where we get this word spirit. This is, this is the life of us. And it happens when we come into relationship with Christ. And the life of the Spirit, Christ himself, comes and abides in us, okay? But why else is this so hard? We said uh, because it's our, it's, we called it nature. I, 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 I get this, but I want to argue this in the fact that in Christ we have what? In terms of nature. A new nature. But understand this, what, what actually that means is this doesn't go away, right? The flesh remains, but our new nature becomes this nature. Because here, all we had was sin. All we were capable of producing in our flesh, in our sin nature, was sin. With this new nature now, we all of a sudden have this choice. Choose the spirit or choose the flesh. Paul, he, he says, uh, why, do you, why do you serve the old when you've been given the new, right? This is what he's talking about, this dynamic. Why else is this hard? Yeah, what does Paul say? Walk by what? Walk by faith and not by sight. Why is this so difficult? Because sight dictates this. And I don't just mean with your eyes, though that is, that is certainly prevalent, but this is where we live, right? The world around you is perceived uh, mostly here, 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 and here. This is what we've been doing for our whole lives, and we get this new nature. All of a sudden, uh, we are not of this world. We're of a different kingdom, but we haven't quite figured that dynamic out. We haven't quite figured out that we could have eyes to see something different, and so we're still very trapped by what we see and perceive now. The problems and realities of our life right now dictate us. Does that make sense? 
And we, sub, we submit to those things. This is, why, this is why the call of Jesus, so I said, follow me. You, you have to come completely out of the old because I'm going to give you something new. He could, he could not allow Peter to keep his net because then Peter would develop theology about Jesus but never gain new life. You see this? So I think, I think we've, we've defined that well, but, but really, so what does abide mean? Abide means dying to our flesh and living by the Spirit. Living uh, based upon the life of Christ that is given to us at the moment of salvation. And so many of us, the moment we were saved, never picked up and began a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Never even thought that it was an option that I could speak to God and He could speak to me. That I could know Him intimately. And so what we did is we were saved and then continued uh, in our flesh. And so we get past our salvation several years and we go, wait, what? How do I abide in the... I can hear God. You know, it's like, this becomes a very foreign concept for Christian people. And what we're having to do is go back and reteach the fact that you have a relationship with God in the Holy Spirit. And the call on your life is now that you would submit to Him and not to your flesh. This is all Jesus means with abide. Because He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So understand that when He says abide, that means to submit to Him. Does this make sense? You sure? Okay. So, then the process continues. This is like so cool. So when we abide, what happens? We bear fruit. Go to Galatians 5. This is cool. I, I love this. To me, this holds the heart of why the Father is glorified. And there's some other hard things in here, but I think some more understanding of this spirit-flesh battle. Because what does he say in verse 16 of chapter 5? Uh, somebody read 16 through uh, 21. Okay, stop. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not. So how do we, how do we remove ourselves from the flesh? By doing what? Living by the Spirit. Not by, not by figuring out how we deal with the flesh, but simply by what? Abiding in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you can't, what does Jesus say? A house divided will fall. You cannot serve two masters. So you cannot serve your spirit and your flesh at the same time. So the reason that, or the way that we avoid our flesh is by falling completely, 100% into obedience to the Spirit. Does this make sense? I'm not saying, I, I hear, don't hear that I think accountability partners are bad, Okay. But we have set up this world of accountability partners. Why? Because we're just defending against our flesh. Does this make sense? Like, the very first thing we do in terms of discipleship is like, okay, will you be my accountability partner? 
I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's a, that's a bad thing. I think it's certainly necessary and, and, and a wonderful, healthy piece of our relationship with the Christian body. But, but shouldn't we be pursuing falling into completely obedience to the Spirit and, and then our flesh will not be satisfied? Instead of just trying to say, somebody keep me from this flesh. No, you keep you from the flesh by being in obedience to the Spirit which lives in you. That's not my job. Let me walk with you as you're obedient to the Spirit in those moments that you're not. Let's talk about it. Does that make sense? Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. I won't do that again. Okay, so he goes through and he lists. Why does he call them deeds of the flesh? Because in just a second, he's going to talk about fruits of the Spirit. Why does he call them deeds and not fruit? Because a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. This is a product of the flesh, but it is not fruit. Fruit is that goodness which is produced by the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? But essentially, we're talking about the same thing. What you abide in is what you will produce. If you abide in your flesh, this is what you will produce. So here it is, accountability check. And I think a lot of times we're like, oh, well, spiritually, what does sorcery mean? And spiritually, what does drunkenness mean? No, no, this is what he says. If these things are prevalent in us, then we better believe that these things are evidence of what we are abiding in, which is our flesh and not the Spirit. Don't shy away from that. Don't try, to, don't try to dull the blow. Understand this, that if the blow comes, it's the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing is not, not necessarily making you feel, he doesn't want to make you feel bad for what's being produced, but he wants to pull you into what will produce good fruit. Because he's going he's to go right after this and he's going to list, but, but this is what happens when the Spirit is at work. This is what happens when you abide. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You hear that? The flesh is dead. Why are we, why are we trying to wake it up? It is dead. It has been crucified, rendered powerless. Do not submit to it as if it has life, but submit to the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, and let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So, this is the fruit that is produced. You want to know, this, is, this was the thing that I thought was so cool, is that when we, when we abide in Him, what we're actually doing is we are living our lives in submission to and obedience to the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit which is producing fruit in us. So whose works are they? Are they, you, are they yours and mine, or are they His? They're His. You, you understand this? If, if the Spirit is in control and we are only obedient to the Spirit, then it is the Spirit's 
fruit that is produced. And we see this list, 22 through uh, 23. So why is it glorifying to to the Father? Because it's Him. You see that? He is glorified by Himself. That's cool. You, You cannot glorify the Father in anything less than Himself. And so what has He done? He has given you all of Himself so that He may be glorified in you. Do you see this connection? This is huge. Because I think a lot of times our mentality is, what can I do to please the Father? Nothing. Nothing. You couldn't save yourself, and you certainly cannot please Him. So what did He do? He sent the perfect sacrifice so that you might be cleansed, and then instead of leaving us to our own vices, He said, okay, no, here's the fullness of my life, and now I will be glorified in me, by me. All you got to do is abide. But he gave us opportunity to be partakers in glorifying the Father. And to do that, he gave us all of himself to live in us. So that he might be glorified by his own fruit. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then this is the fun one. 1030, the fun fun one. And if you're bearing fruit... You get pruned. (laughs) Who's stoked for that one? (laughs) Anybody excited? Like, prune me! (laughs) Nobody? I thought surely I would hear some shouts of, prune me. (laughs) Why do we hate that? Why do we cringe at what that is? Yeah, because you know what it is? It's further ripping us away from our comfort in our flesh. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll bear fruit in Sunday school class, but please do not take me outside of that. <laughs> but you understand this. In this, in this right here is the, is the process in which the gospel continually grows and increases. Right? You see this? So we abide in the word of truth, Christ. And because of that abiding, fruit naturally comes out. And as fruit is produced, he's going to say, I love this. I want more. Prune. And he's going to continue to cut away that which we considered good, and he's going to make it better. Why? What is the point? Because he is in process with us to make us like himself. We've got to always keep this in mind, that the process of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is is here to make us into the image of Christ. Lead us into all truth and remind us all things about Him. That is the sole purpose of the Holy Spirit, is that the fullness of Christ might be evident in us. And so He is making us into Himself. And he will take away all that is not of him to replace it with all that is him. But he's not, he's a gentleman. He's not aggressive. He doesn't just go chop down the tree and plant a new one. He takes us on a process. A process where we learn to abide and then fruit is, is evident. And then he says, okay, okay, do you see this? Do you see how healthy this is? Chop. And it's like, ah, it hurt, but here comes more. You know? I 
I think this is a, a lot of the reason that we start off fast in the faith because we immediately see fruit, right? And you, you're saved and you immediately see the things in your life begin to turn over. You immediately see your eyes are all of a sudden open to the pitfalls that you have submitted yourself to, which are the traps of the enemy. And the Lord begins to call you out of old lifestyle, old stuff, and it begins to bear fruit. And then the pruning comes and it's like, wait, don't do that. Because I want to keep this. You can have all of this over here, but come on, don't take this relationship. Don't take this, which is actually producing the deeds of the flesh, but, but come on, you're getting fruit over here. And this is why we stop our growth in Him. This is why we got a lot of Christians that are these short bushes instead of these enormous trees. Because they never allowed themselves to be pruned by the master because they did not want to be pruned because it hurts. And it's very simple. That's why Paul is, is pushed. He's like, stop drinking milk. We've got to go on to meat. You've got to grow. You've got to grow because this is the design. If you don't grow, you become stagnant. If you become stagnant, you are not in the image of your maker. But who... Who has become more qualified than Christ himself to choose what stays and what goes? You see that? Who, look at me. Who do, you, who do you trust more? You? Or the one who made you? Who is more qualified to run your life and say, look at me, this has got to go because this is what I want to do. Man, it's him. It's, it's him. And the reason we have such a hard time with that is that we don't, we don't see him. We haven't quite developed that relationship with him. And so when he comes along and he's got shears, it's like, I'd rather not hang out with you right now. <laughs> you know? But your maturity in Christ uh, hangs in the balance of whether or not you will allow yourself to be pruned. Because you know what happens to a tree that doesn't get pruned that once bore fruit? What happens to that tree? It does not make it. And the fruit that it once uh, was producing in that small state, it, it'll be a little less the next season and a little less the next season. And if it's never pruned, it will finally dwindle to a point where this tree is supposed to be huge and producing large amounts of fruit, but it cannot because it has stayed small. And even the fruit that it had the first season when it was small, it'll be less in the fifth season. This makes sense. Because it has not been allowed to grow. In the gospel, listen, in truth, in the good news, there is no life that does not come before death. Death always occurs before life. It says you gotta, you gotta die. To partake with me, you gotta die. Dying was the origin of our salvation, and we must continue, as Jan said, to die to ourselves. Because the more that we die to ourselves, the more that we allow ourselves to be in process with Him and live in Him. Does that make sense? This is a heavy word. This is an accountability word that said, that where Paul is speaking to a church, a community, a group, not just one person. And he's saying, here's what I see in you. I see an increase 
in the gospel. I see where the good news and the word of truth has, has produced not just evangelism, but it's produced an increase in you. And I, I feel like we have to take that same accountability test. I know I just like bashed accountability. But we have to take that same look at ourselves, at our churches, at our, at our place, at our house, right? And we got to say, has the gospel produced and increased? If not, the fault is not of the gospel. And we've got to examine this process. Where have I not submitted? Does this make sense? Does it? For real. We're good? Okay. Weighty word, but, but good. That's what I was telling you. Like, so this is really simple. Three-step process, bling, you know. But it's hard. It's hard. Because it really, it, it challenges all that we are comfortable with. Cool? Everybody good? Okay. Well, um, the Lord spoke to each of you. My prayer was that he spoke to each of you individually. And so well, here's what I want you to do. I, I don't know how this works and looks for you, but uh, I'm just going to be quiet. And what I want you to do is I want you to really focus on that which the Lord spoke to you today. Uh, and I want you to give that seed uh, life. Okay, so ima- imagine this, like the seed was planted by the Holy Spirit and whatever you heard the Lord say today, Let's like put the seed in the ground, pat the dirt around it, and then give it a little water, okay? Instead of just letting it bounce off and, and take off. So what I want you to do is just, we're just going to be quiet for about 15, 20 seconds. And I just want you to water the seed, okay? Whatever that looks like for you, go. Amen.